0: All right, so I have to tell you a quick story from um, one of our little breaks that Kate and I had. Um, So Kate and I went to stay in a shepherd's hut uh, in uh, the Scottish borders. And it was lovely and very peaceful and very quiet and it was just over the border in Scotland. And... um, Whilst we were there, one of the things we like to do is just go for some walks together um, and uh, go up this hill that was in front of us and then sometimes I'd like to go for a run so I could explore the area a bit, f- bit wider as well. And um, what I discovered is, of course, as I'm sure you know, a fantastic thing in Scotland, which is this right to roam. Has everyone heard of that? Which means that um, by law in Scotland, you are allowed to roam anywhere, um, There are certain restrictions. You can't go into kind of, you know, school playgrounds. uh, And you can't actually go near the proximity of buildings. So I asked one of the locals about this because I said, well, how come I can't just walk into your garden then, can I? And they're like, no, you can't go in the proximity of a building. So that stops people from roaming through everyone's gardens. But if it's open farmland, open countryside, there aren't footpaths. You can just, you can go anywhere. Right, and this is a long tradition in Scotland. Now, I thought this was really amazing. I thought, wow, this this is going to be fun. I can just go anywhere. But do you know what? I found that it was an absolute nightmare. I mean, Kate and I tried to make a, a walk up to this hill, and there I've got my OS maps up on my phone, but there's no footpaths, so we're thinking, oh, this is fun. We've got freedom. We can go anywhere we like. But then you think, well, Which way should we go then? Uh, And will there be a path there? And what about when we get to this hedge? I wonder if there'll be a stile. I don't know. Um, Will there be a big ditch that we can't get get across? Will there be boggy moor? We don't know because there's no footpaths. You can go anywhere. And I discovered that it was actually a bit of a mixed blessing. Having total freedom to go wherever you wanted actually was quite restrictive and actually made you a bit more anxious than if you had some footpaths where we we went the rest of our holiday we were back in Northumberland um, which is Debbie's giving us a big thumbs up for and there are actually footpaths there so you can plan your routes you can think right today I'm going to do this and it's going to be a total of six kilometers and I'm going to go here 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 and you can plan and make your route and you know that it's going to be a footpath and you know there's going to be proper paths and styles and everything and it's actually a lot easier if there's footpaths. And I was thinking about this. And I was thinking that, you know, God gives us footpaths to walk on. He doesn't, you know, these days freedom is a big thing, isn't it? Freedom is kind of the thing. Everybody wants total freedom to be be whoever you want to be. Do whatever you want to do. Um, you're completely free. Now, the problem with that is I think it's quite an anxious way to live because you constantly have to decide, oh, I don't know, what, what shall I, you know, do, be, uh, how shall I be? And you have to make all the choices. But actually, God has given us clear footpaths. Within those footpaths, we have choices, of course. We can think, oh, I want to do this career or that career. I want to get married I don't want to get married. I want to marry this person, that person. We've got lots and lots of choices which footpaths to take, but there are clear footpaths that God has given us. And I would say that that is wonderfully liberating to actually know what God has provided for us. Life works so much better. We've outsourced the decision to God. In fact, he's already made the decision. But it makes life a lot easier when we go, you know, I'm, I don't have to just keep guessing about everything. God has said, these are the ways, walk in them. And then, oh, well, now I know. Okay? And then I can enjoy the journey with him. Now, that's a long-winded way of introducing the subject that I want to speak about today i want to talk about the sabbath okay or the lord's day and let me just tell you a little bit there's a book here i have four free copies available for anybody who would like one at the end it's called the fourth commandment it's available also for free from the christian institute But let me just read an introduction from uh, Rupert uh, Bentley Taylor uh, from this, where he says this. Up to 50 years ago, a high view of the Lord's Day as the outworking of the Sabbath principle for the New Testament believer was standard among English-speaking evangelicals. So he's saying everybody had a high view of um, the Sabbath. And he then lists the people who observed the Lord's Day and spoke strongly about the Lord's Day. And he says it's like a roll call of the great evangelicals of history. And then he names loads and loads of people. Um, The Puritans, Richard Baxter, John Owen, Matthew Henry, John Bunyan, um, John Wesley, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, Robert Murray McShane, Charles Simeon, DL Moody, Charles Hodge, J.C. Ryle, um, you know, all these people. Uh, Spurgeon. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and then more recently, uh, people like John Piper or Alistair Begg. Um, It was standard teaching for these people that they would have a high view of the Lord's Day. But then, he says, Today, I know leading evangelical preachers and pastors whom I love in the Lord, and gospel-preaching churches who I respect, that dismiss the relevance of the fourth commandment with little hesitation. Among the younger generation of Christians, there are many to whom the whole notion of one day set aside for God seems a quaint throwback to Victorian values. So he says if it's out of fashion. People have kind of abandoned that whole idea of the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, and um, I want to just look at it together with you. And I've been on a journey on this myself, actually. I've always had a respect for the Lord's Day. I've always been quite careful to Say, no, Sunday, Sunday morning church, that's absolutely a priority for us. But I've, I've been on more of a journey, I think, recently about this and thinking more uh, widely about the significance of the Lord's Day. Now, it's interesting in Luke chapter 23 and 24. In Luke 23 and verse 56, um, Simon Jones read from this when he was preaching a couple of weeks ago. In verse 56, it says that the ladies went home And prepared spices and perfumes this is after Jesus had been buried okay and um, they they then rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment so these women they uh, the Lord Jesus had been put in the tomb and then they went and they prepared spices but then they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to to the commandment. So the Jewish Sabbath, of course, was on the Saturday, and it was the last day of the week, and it was based on uh, what happened in Genesis, of course, where God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested from his labors, uh, and he instituted that principle of Sabbath rest. Notice that that principle was in, introduced by God before the Ten Commandments came along in Exodus 20. It was a creation principle that God rested on the seventh day and gave that day for people to, to rest. And um, so that's what these ladies are doing. They're observing the Sabbath, which of course then was repeated in Exodus in the Ten Commandments, on the fourth commandment to say that we should observe the sabbath now luke 24 and verse 1 on the first day of the week very early in the morning the women took the spices they'd prepared and went to the tomb they found the stone rolled away so this is resurrection day this is the sunday this is the first day of the week And this is the day that the Lord Jesus has risen from the dead. It tells us also in verse 13 of uh, Luke 24, that same day, so that's the the Lord's Day, uh, the Resurrection Day Sunday. On that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. They were traveling, and of course they met the Lord on that road. Do you remember the story? We'll come to it. So what's happening here is that there seems to be a move from Saturday and the Sabbath being the day to the the day of the resurrection the day that the Lord rose from the dead being a significant day and it's very interesting that all four Gospels mention this just really quickly you can see it here uh, thanks Jack in the end of Matthew in Matthew 28 it says there uh, After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb. And then it tells us in Mark, Mark 16, and uh, verse 2. Again, the first day of the week. There's something significant about this day. The day that Jesus rose from the dead, it's the first day of the week. Again, we've just read it in Luke, of course. It's mentioned here, this phrase, the first day of the week. And then even in John, in John 20 and verse 1, again it says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, they went to the tomb. This is Jesus' day, the day of the resurrection. It's quite interesting that the church, the early church, shifted their worship from the Jewish Saturday, Sabbath, to the Sunday, the day that the Lord had risen. And there is a shift there that might be worth us noting. You see, the Sabbath on Saturday was, the, was at the end of the week, so you had six days of work, and then you rested after you'd been working. And that's good, it's good to rest after you've worked. But now we have the Christians worshiping at the beginning of a new week. So what you do is you rest, you stop and look at God, you see that God is sovereign. You rest in the grace of God, his love for us, the gospel. We find rest in God today. We're kind of like, take a breath. God, you're in control. Lord, you're sovereign. Lord, you love me. Lord, you're with me. Lord, thank you. And then you go out into the world in, from that place of rest. And as you go out into the world working, you're working out of rest, out of knowing that God is sovereign, as you go into the working week, you work, you're going into a place knowing, having settled it at the beginning of the week, whatever happens this week, God is for me, God is with me, and God is on the throne. And that's a great way to start the week, isn't it? All right. And so that's, I think, a significant shift for us. So the early church seems very clear to me in the New Testament that they... Uh worship God on what became known as the Lord's Day. So, for example, in Acts 20 and verse 7, Acts 20 and verse 7, it says there, on the first day of the week, we came together, I think it's up there, yeah, uh, Acts 20 verse 7. Got it. Acts 21st, 7, yeah? Okay. Well, you've got Bibles in front of you. You can look at them as well if you want to. If, sorry, Jack, if I haven't put it in there, don't worry. It says there, this is the church in Troas, and it says, On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. And Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. So um, here is Paul, and they gather together as a church, they break bread and then Paul preaches, and he preaches until midnight, Uh, and someone falls out the window because they're so sleepy when he's preaching at night, and uh, it's all a bit of a late one, but uh, for everybody, don't worry, I'm not going to be preaching until midnight today, all right, but that's what the church did as a habit. They gathered on the Lord's Day, on the first day of the week, and they broke bread. Notice, by the way, this link between breaking bread and um, the um and uh, the lord's day when you break bread you look back it's the lord's supper and at the lord's supper you look back you look back to jesus resurrection at the lord's supper you look into the present we receive grace as we take the lord's supper and you look forward to the banquet that's to come as you take the lord's supper on the lord's day You've got the Lord's Supper, you've got the Lord's Day. On the Lord's Day, we look back to his resurrection. We receive grace in the present on this day. And then we also look forward to that rest that we will have eternally with him. The Lord's Supper, the Lord's Day, both look backwards into the present and they look forwards. Now there's another verse I think you can probably put it up for us Hopefully, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 1, which says about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatians churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection would have to be made. So it seems as if Paul is saying to this church, as a habit, gather, get, bring your collection and then save it up, and then when I come, I don't have to embarrass you with a collection. I'll, I'll take that money, and I'll take it to the poor people back in Jerusalem. So there's this habit again of worshipping, breaking bread, hearing God's word, giving. It seems to be something the church is doing. And then one final verse for us is in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. Revelation chapter 1. And verse 10, now John, you remember John, the aging apostle, and he's there on the island of Patmos, and um, he says this in verse 10, On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So John's habit on the Lord's day was he was worshipping. Clearly he was worshipping God, He was meditating. He was in the Spirit. Okay. And then God spoke to him. And it's very interesting, of course, what did John see? Well, of course, John saw the whole of the book of Revelation, which he wrote down, which we're not going to look at now. But the first thing that John saw on the Lord's day when he was in the Spirit was the Lord himself. Uh, I haven't got the verses up, but it says, it says, I turned round to see a voice that was speaking. And it was the son of man dressed in a robe um, with a golden sash round his chest. His hair and uh, head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like blazing fire. Uh, And then it says this. um, He said to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So what does John see on the Lord's Day when he's in the Spirit? He sees the Lord. He sees the glorious, resurrected Lord Jesus, radiant, alive, on his throne, in control, full of grace. Do not be afraid. That's who he sees on the Lord's Day. That, folks, is what we want to see above everything else, isn't it, on the Lord's Day. We don't want to be so much just focused on us and so on. Ultimately, we want to look up, say, yeah, he is exalted. The king is exalted. From that place, we can go out and we can face anything. So... I hope I've established for you that the Christians in the early church did this thing as uh, a a regular um, activity and uh, in a messed up world where there are so many uncertainties, I would say we want to stop. We want to see Jesus together as his church. And Christians, ever since, through the centuries, have observed the Lord's Day. Let me give you one example. There was a guy called Stonewall Jackson. Who's heard of General Jackson? He was uh, a legend in American history. He was a key player in the American Civil War. And uh, he was a man of great principle, a man of great character. And at the heart of his conviction, his character, was his faith in Jesus Christ. And he was a very rigorous person, and he observed the Sabbath. And let me read you from his biography that his widow wrote. She said this, Certainly he was not less scrupulous in obeying the divine commandment to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy than he was in any other rule of his life. Since the Creator had set apart this day for his own and commanded it to be kept holy, He believed that it was wrong for him to desecrate it by worldly pleasure, idleness, or secular employment, as to break any other commandment of the Decalogue. Sunday was his busiest day of the week, as he always attended church twice a day and taught in two Sabbath schools. He refrained as much as possible from all worldly conversation, and in his family, if secular topics were introduced, he would say with a kindly smile, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Now, I'm not saying that that's how exactly we should observe the Sabbath. No worldly enjoyment. You can't have nice conversations about anything apart from the Lord, okay? Because we can talk about everything because the Lord is interested in everything. But what is interesting here, and I wonder how do you react to that account? And I think there are two ways that Christians can react to the idea of observing a Sabbath principle. The first is legalism, and the second is license. So legalism is this, that we get into all sorts of knots about what we can do, what we can't do, we start judging one another, and so on. And it actually becomes very unhelpful. In uh, Luke chapter 13, we've been reading through Luke's gospel, and uh, in Luke chapter 13, Uh, I think the verses might be there. Um, We find that the Pharisees are doing this with Jesus. And so they criticize Jesus for healing somebody on the Sabbath, a crippled woman. And they were indignant, it says, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath in verse 14. And they say there were six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. But what did Jesus say? He said, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? So Jesus says, no, don't, don't just put all these rules on people. Um, God has given us the Sabbath as a means of healing. So, of course, we would want to bring healing to somebody. But what the religious leaders at the time had done is they'd put a whole load of elaborate rules on top of the Sabbath. So, for example, if you left your house, you were not allowed to carry anything apart from the clothing on your back. And um, uh, you were not allowed to carry things on the street, even a key or a handkerchief, had to be left at home because if you were carrying things then you were working because you were carrying a burden on the Sabbath. All these ridiculous rules. When Kate and I went to Israel for a trip, um, we were staying in a hotel and there was uh, the Sabbath day and we were in a lift and we pushed the button for the lift. And um, we found that as we got into the lift, it stopped at every single floor. (laughs) And we're like, you know, we just want to get to the ninth floor, thank you very much. But no, it stops at the first floor. Then it opens at the second floor. Then it opens at the third floor. What's going on? Why is it opening every single floor? And what we found was that th- this lift was a sabbath compliance lift because it stopped us from having to work on the Sabbath by pushing the button to, to tell it to make it stop on our floor because that would be work, you see, so it was a sabbath compliant lift it it automatically just opened on every floor um, so that we didn't have to work on the Sabbath by pushing a button right now that that's that's just legalism isn't it um, and that's what Jesus faced was this petty kind of judgmental attitude and so on we don't want that, and Jesus peeled off all those layers of rules and regulations and condemnation and so on. We find that Jesus in Luke 6, just a little bit earlier, in Luke 6 and verse 1, there his disciples are picking some ears of corn and rubbing them and eating the grain on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees again criticize Jesus' disciples for daring to work by picking some grain when they're out for a walk on the sabbath. And Jesus says to them, no no that's what David did when he was hungry and then he says this in verse 7, the son of man is lord of the sabbath. Now it's interesting that Jesus says that. You see, Jesus doesn't set aside the sabbath in response to these Pharisees. He doesn't say to them, oh no, well the sabbath no longer applies. He could have said that. He said that about the food laws. He set those aside. He said, no, no, they're no longer relevant. But he didn't set aside the law. He just explained what it was really there for. It was created, he says. It was made. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. It it was made. It was created by God. And he says elsewhere. That um, man was uh, not made for 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 the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for man. It was made for us. And it was made for all of mankind as a gift and as a blessing. The Pharisees had turned it into a burdensome, legalistic weight. So that's the first thing we could do with the Sabbath, is get all legalistic about it. Let me just say this. Don't go away from here and... Get it tied up in knots. Um, People think, you know, or should I? Oh no, I haven't got. We we forgot to get some milk. Am I allowed to go and get some milk today? And so on. Right, it's down to your conscience. I mean, Kate and I would actually try to have made sure we filled up with petrol before if we're going on a journey on Sunday, so we don't have to stop at a garage. We're trying to actually, we've done the shopping. We don't really want to go to a shop. For us, we try to avoid that kind of thing. Um, but I think you've got to work this through. There's, it, there's a principle, and I think then people have to work through and not um, be judgmental towards one another in this. But the other extreme is license. Legalism or license? And license is this, where we basically completely ignore the Sabbath. So all the other commandments we believe in, sure, yeah, of course, you don't commit adultery. But this one, well, it's optional, you know. <laughs> well, no, it's not a, It's not uh, the ten suggestions. It's the ten commandments, isn't it? It's not just an idea, if you like it, take it or leave it. You know, like with adultery, we sort of go, well, yeah, I think that's a good principle. Um, but, you know, um, I mean, if, if, if the perfume's right and, and the, the mood is right and I get kind of, Start for no, of course not. Yeah, that just gets you into massive trouble and sin, okay? It's a, it's a commandment. It's a footpath. This is the path. Walk on it. You have to, you're faithful to your, to your husband or to your wife. In the same way, it's a commandment. Observe the, the Sabbath that the Lord has given to us. And so I think that's the bigger danger for Christians today, not legalism but license, where we completely kind of throw it out as being kind of old-fashioned and so on. So let me just give you two good reasons why I think we should look to observe the Lord's Day. The first is for our benefit. It's so that we can rest as God did. It's interesting. Just ask this question. Um, Days... They come because uh, it takes a whole day for the Earth to rotate, Right? The month exists because, um, uh, because of the waxing and waning of the moon, so month exists. The year exists because uh, that's how long it takes for the Earth to revolve around the sun. So those, th- those things are fixed because of, of kind of cosmology, if you like, or whatever, Where does seven days come from? There's no physics principle behind seven days. The week seems to exist because God commanded it in Genesis. People have tried to create 10-day weeks after the French Revolution and after the Russian Revolution. They tried to introduce a 10-day week, and it completely failed. There seems to be this rhythm that God has put into us whereby seven days works. A week exists because God said that it should exist. And it's for our benefit that we might rest from our labors and that we might remember that we have been set free. In Deuteronomy 5, where the Ten Commandments are introduced, God reminds them that they were once slaves in Egypt, but now they've been set free. So they're no longer under the thumb of their Egyptian bosses anymore. They're no longer driven. Instead, they've been set free, and therefore, they can rest remembering that God has set them free. They've got a new boss, which is God. I I was hearing about a preacher who said this uh, when he was a student. There were exams on the Monday, and on the Sunday, he walked past the library at college and all these students were there beavering away last minute cramming and he was a Christian and he'd done his work and he thought ha I don't have to work I'm free I can trust God for tomorrow so he walked past without feeling worried without feeling that he had to do it you know we find it difficult to stop don't we we feel that we're needed. I have to check my emails. People need me. My boss needs me. If I don't do this, I'm indispensable, whatever. And God says, no, you're not indispensable. I'm in control. I can look after things. Take a break. Stop. And actually, he can look after things. You're free. You're free just to walk his footpath, and he'll get you there. So that's one reason why um, it's good to uh, rest. The other reason is that it's for God's glory. It's called the Lord's Day. You see, um, if you've got a birthday, what happens? On your birthday, you get to tell everybody what's happening, don't you? On your birthday, it's my party and I'll do what I want to, right? You say... It's my birthday. I would like to go out for a meal. My birthday, I would like to do this. And everybody's like, oh, well, that's not very convenient for me. But no, it's your birthday, of course. It's your day. And, and God says, this is my day. And, and it's, it's Sunday. It's, it's the day he rose from the dead. And he said, this is my day. So I get to choose what happens on my day. It's not your choice, he says, it's it's my choice. I've chosen that today is my day. You've got the rest of the week uh, to walk with me and to do your stuff and and to be busy, but this is my day. And I think we find it difficult. We find it really hard to stop. We feel like it's my time, my day, my right. Who's to tell me what I'm to do with my time? So it's not your time. All of it is God's time. Every day is God's time, but He's released you for six days to go out and do, do things. And he says, "No, but this is my day." And by the way, just quickly, I would say, not just my morning. I, I, I've, this is part of my journey with Kate recently.. Is to realize, now the whole day is, is a day you know, it's, it's a day for God's people, maybe a bit of fellowship, showing mercy to people. Um, That's what Jesus did, he healed people on the Sabbath. It it may be visiting, it may be seeing parents, it it may be showing mercy in some way. Uh, They used to visit almshouses and things on on, uh, the Lord's Day because it was part of just showing mercy. There's something different about the day, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm not telling you exactly what to do, but I think there's something special, different that we should observe and enjoy about the Lord's Day. And then finally, I'd, I'd give you an ex- another example. I mean, um, this is getting a bit gushy here, but uh, the thing that I most like to do if I get a chance, there's lots, of, you probably know I'm quite enthusiastic about life. I love to do loads of stuff. I always try and cram in too much stuff into too little time. Um, but those who've been on holiday with me have discovered. Um, but honestly, if I have a choice, the thing that I most want to do, apart from being with God at the church, is just to be with my wife, okay? Because we both lead busy lives, and, and, and it's such a breath, just, ah, oh, we get to drive in a car for three hours together and talk, or we get to go for a walk, or we get to just be together, all right? And, and, and Jesus has made his church his bride, and he loves to be with his bride, And, you know, on the Lord's Day, I can imagine him thinking, oh, well, where's my bride? Half my bride's decided that they want to go and do this, that, and the other because there's so many options these days. No, he wants to be with his brides. He wants to be with his people. He delights to be with us, to meet with us, to speak to us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to fortify us, to give us rest from our labors and to give us rest so that we go into the next week knowing that he's with us and for us. This is his day. It's his day for him to delight in us. He loves the Vine Church. He loves his people. I think this is something we need to rediscover and re-energize and enjoy more and more, Um, not as a burden, but as a blessing for us as his people. So can we pray, and then we will uh, respond in worship. Lord God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us footpaths. You've given us clear guidance, and it's for our benefits. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would just teach us how to put this into practice in our lives. We pray that we go from here and find ourselves reflecting and seeing your wisdom. And uh, Lord, if there's anything we need to adjust to repent of, to change, help us to do it. But right now, we just stop and we thank you, Lord, that you rose from the dead, that today we commemorate the fact that you're alive, you're exalted. I just pray right now for anyone who is weary and tired, that they would hear those words, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. So, my burden is light. I pray right now for rest in you, for our spirits to find rest in you, for our hearts to rest in you. Hmm. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.